listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everybody left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with professionals in the grief world. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Jana DeCristofero, and produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. Imagine for a moment what it would be like to talk about your grief uninterrupted for seven minutes. Now, imagine telling that story into a microphone on a stage to an audience of engaged listeners. What does that imagining spark for you? Panic? Curiosity? Trepidation? Relief? Is it just totally unimaginable? For today's guest, Mari Gonzalez, the idea is one of power and transformation. Mari has over 20 years of experience as a midwife, nurse, minister, and social worker. And she is committed to creating opportunities for grieving people to be heard, seen, and supported. Mari is the co-founder of the Grief Rights Foundation, which is based here in Portland, Oregon. They host monthly readings where anyone can get up in front of the audience and tell, sing, or dance their story of grief. Grief has been a part of Mari's life for many years. She experienced a series of death and non-death losses early on. When she was 19, both her brother-in-law and very close friend died extremely suddenly. These deaths left Mari reeling and in need of people who could listen and offer support without evaluation, advice, or a push to get over it. That personal need has inspired a lifetime of working to create that support for others. Madi, thank you so much for being part of Grief Out Loud today. Thank you, Jana. I'm really happy to be here with you. I'm looking forward today to you know talking about all types of things, uh, including Grief Rights, the organization that you co-lead and co-founded, um, and just about grief in your own life. And before we kind of dive into more of the background of your story, I'm wondering, you know, it's May. 19th, 2020. So we're just over two months into Oregon stay-at-home orders and sort of the pandemic really hitting the West Coast. And what has this time brought up for you in your own grief? I think it's been, um, there's been several different layers to it. I mean, one is um, being, being the mother of a toddler who is a really social person, the little social person, you know, that kind of wondering how that's imprinting on her sort of as we have been, I mean, we go, we live really close to a park and so we can safely go outside and be in a park and she can run around. But that feeling of people that she approaches, you know, where they'll back away from her or that, you know, that like, no, 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 no. Like this one day we were playing and, um, this little girl who was older than her, probably three or four, as my daughter would approach her, she was like, no, 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 no. And the whole, for like a couple of hours after that, my daughter just kept going like, no, 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 no. Like she was processing it. And I kept, you know, we talked about it. I mean, she's 21 months now, so we can really talk about things and just thinking about that, you know, how that's imprinting that kind of distance from people, whereas people and as humans, we're communal. And that definitely, 
you know, I feel it. I feel that. And that's been, but it's also something that we just talk about. You know, we talk about who we can be close to and who we can't be or on another, other levels. I, you know, it's interesting to be talking today about it just because I also have one of my very best friend's mothers is having brain surgery today. And she had to be dropped off at the entrance of the hospital. And they're not going to see her until she's dropped back off, like until it's all over. And oh, I just, I just feel it through my whole being about her experience of walking in to have such a major surgery and not having her advocates around her, her family, her loved ones. Thinking about that, like all the people who are having to be secluded from their loved ones and that that could actually be more dangerous, honestly, you know, um, more detrimental for people's healing, more dead. So there's that, those, those pieces like today, that's really in my heart. And I really am, gosh, I don't know. There's so many layers to it. There's also a connective tissue layer. This experience has created an environment where we have to be more innovative, more creative, more intuitive in order to be together. That has both been challenging and also uniting. The way that I live in relation to grief is, I just have it with me all the time. It's part of my life. It's part of my heart. It's part of what I breathe. And it's, there's the day-to-day grief. And then there's like the bigger griefs that I've carried in my heart. And I think that having this collective grief going on where people are talking about grief all the time and how they're grieving all the time, it feels connecting because I feel like I can actually talk more about the thing that I love talking about, (laughs) which people tend to hate to talk about it, right? Like they tend to like not think it's cool or not think it's um, relevant. But now it's like the biggest relevant topic. And so feels like it's hit so many different levels, you know. <laughs> Just... mm-hmm. And with grief being a part of your life for a very long time, you experienced a number of non-death losses and then two really significant deaths in your young adulthood when your brother-in-law died and a, and a close friend. And you've talked so much already about how the how you carry the grief with you now and having people in the greater community talk about grief and like, oh, finally talking about the thing that I know so well, but what's your sense of how those two deaths in your early young adulthood shaped you and shaped your young adulthood? That time, so I was 19 when my brother-in-law died and that, I feel like there's a before and an after of me. The after, you know, so I learned, I I found out my brother-in-law died um, over the phone because I was in college. I learned of his death and learned of my sister being pregnant, um, his wife, so that my sister being pregnant at the same moment, like learned he had just dropped dead, which it was, he was only 33 and he died of a massive heart attack. He had no cardiac history. You know, there was, it, it was um, so shocking because he just died. Like he didn't get hit by, like nobody did anything to him. And that was always shocking to me because of the unexpectedness and the before and after of it was, and then subsequently six months or seven months later, when my, one of my best friends died, he was only 21 and he died in his sleep. Like it was, so it was both people that were young 
that just died. Like they just went away (laughs) and they didn't. And, and I just, it was like, I almost really didn't know that could happen, even though I didn't know that could happen in real life, that people could just die without any warning. (laughs) I know that sounds kind of naive, but you know, I was really young and I hadn't had that experience or I'd had an experience where people would be sick and then they would die or there would be an accident and then they would die. And so the before that, I felt like I had more freedom (laughs) around my thinking and feeling and being. And there was something about that experience that closed me in one in fear. I mean, I, I had no resources. Well, we never even talked about it. You know, I mean, I mean, we talked about it with my family and I was present with my sister. You know, I, we went and we were all together for my brother-in-law's funeral. And that was all incredible and ritual. There was beautiful ritual. But what I mean is like afterwards, it was like during the holiday break in college and I went back to school and it was like, I was a whole different human being. And I didn't even know who I was because I was so raw in my grief. And I was so afraid of who else would just drop dead. It led me to many years of being very, having a ton of anxiety, um, just not feeling like I had the capacity to like move forward and live on my own because I just felt so afraid. So with this time period of experiencing a lot of anxiety and feeling like the world's just not a safe place anymore, that, you know, of not being able to have that freedom of the before time, what did you need from friends, from family, professional supports? Like, what did you need at that time? To be listened to. I needed to be heard. Um, I needed people to listen to the story and also to be um, available to just be with me, you know, to not have to explain why I felt a certain way. You know, the why are you crying or the why are you upset? Are you why, you know, we're going to be okay. You know, like that's what I needed a lot of um, was listening and yeah, just really being present with um, without any explanation. Yeah, the why question is so interesting, and it, it for me it brings up this need to justify, you know, mm-hmm, to totally, like totally. lay out my case for why it's okay that I'm crying or why it's okay that I'm having this yeah. grief. Yeah, and that's the thing about grief, right? That's so messy. Is this there isn't a why? There's just it just is. If we have to justify it, then we're already out of it. Like then we're not in it anymore. Then we're having to describe it. And that, I think as a result of that, that was where I spent most of my time was not in it, but justifying it or not being able to justify it. So then like pushing it away. And and speaking of being present, the other kind of unique aspect of your story is that, you know, your sister, you found out your sister was pregnant right? When you found out your brother-in-law died and then you were invited to be present for the birth of their child. And you've, you and I have talked a little bit about like 
this interesting overlap or like similarity between the way community responds when somebody is born and the way community responds when someone dies. And can you talk a little bit about what that was like? Yeah, what really stood out to me, it was, it was the gathering of people, you know, people coming in close, people bringing food, you know, people bringing it like being very, um, just very basic, right? It's like what we needed was people to come, people to feed us, people to um, take care of the outer world so we could be in that inner world of death or of birth. And it also just felt similar in like that close circle of story. Like when somebody, when, when he died, we gathered around his body and we told stories and we cried and we laughed. And when my niece was born, we gathered around her body and we told stories and we cried and we laughed, you know, and it was just the exact same thing, (laughs) you know, and when I think about the taking a breath or the last breath, you know, sort of that journey, it just always, I mean, literally the image that I always had was a door, like a swinging door. And it was like a swinging door in one direction, a swinging door in the other direction. And that kind of community response. I mean, the thing that stood out was people's more comfort level around the birth time, sort of being present in the birth experience rather than the death experience, even though the need was pretty much the same. That's a really interesting point of, even though the behaviors can be similar, the the coming together, the, the offering of food, the providing the support, but people's comfort level being so drastically different from the beginning of something, the beginning of a life versus the end of a life. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting where people say, I don't know what to say. And I, I always feel like that would, well, that was always comforting to me, honestly, when I was in that experience of the death and the loss, if somebody would say, I don't know what to say, that felt comforting to me because I didn't know what to say either. I think, yeah, the, the comfort level of going congratulations or whatever, you know, um, around birth. Although sometimes births and like that birth, or when I think of even my own birth, like experience of birthing my child, there was a ton of grief in it. And then like, so there's not, yes, yeah, just holding both <laughs> like at the same time is always a real stretch. I mean, you've sort of made a, a career out of that, of holding both. A hundred percent. You spent a lot of years uh, supporting people through birth. And, and now you have this organization, Grief Rights, which is supporting people in their grief. Can you talk a little bit about Grief Rights, like what it is, how it came to be? Yeah. So Grief Rights is, um, the Grief Rights Foundation is located here in Portland, Oregon, but we're national. Um, and we really work to, um, we see grief, like we use art as agency to express grief. And um, Melissa Lynn, my partner in Grief Rights and I, we're both writers. And so we've used that foundation as the art. Um, And so we actually have, prior to COVID-19, we were having monthly um, readings that we've been having for four years at one of our local spots here in town what's kind of the most important thing to us was around putting a microphone on grief, like giving grief a voice, but not only like, not only a voice, but amplifying the voice and saying, 
Anybody can stand up here on our little stage and tell their story. You can have never talked about it before, or you can have published a book and be a New York Times bestseller about it. Whatever. You can sing about it. You can tell a funny story about it. And that has been something that's been really powerful in our community about having a space where people can talk and also no one's going to interrupt you, <laughs> right? Like when, you know, there's a power of having a mic and being on the stage. You have, the, you have that moment. You have those seven minutes. So she and I um, met about, I don't know, I think now it was almost four years ago. And um, she had already started Grief Rights and was doing it in this way with these monthly readings. And at the time, I was working on a, a grief ritual called Grief and the Art of Living. She and I, our mothers died within two weeks of each other, but this is before we knew each other, and this was six years ago. And Melissa went that route of sort of doing grief rites, and I went this other route of creating a ritual that includes writing and meditation and basically the things that I wished I had had when I was in a lot of grief and <laughs> created this whole thing. So anyway, so when we came together, we really balanced each other out around the internal and external expressions of grief and decided to join forces around it. And so now we're doing um, virtual, we're doing, you know, like everybody else, we're doing Zoom readings. And really our mission and our hope is to continue to allow grief to speak what it has to say without interruption. God, that without interruption, that seems so vital. <laughs> you know, it's like at the Dougie Center, one of the basic skills we use when we're sitting with grieving kids and teens and adults is our skill of reflection, which is just kind of giving back what people have said without a question, without a summary, without an interpretation. And it, it always stands out to me that one of our volunteers in the training, it's also one of the hardest skills for people to adapt to because they worry that it feels patronizing or condescending. And, and a lot of volunteers in the training, you can watch them sort of struggle to how is this going to work? And one volunteer said, this is the best thing that has ever happened because I got to tell my story. They were doing like a role play activity and they said, I got to tell my story and I didn't have to brace for anything anybody was going to say to me because the only thing they were going to say was what I had already said. And it opened up the door so much for me to talk more honestly, more openly, and with more depth than I usually do because I'm using so much of my brain and emotional space to brace of like, what's coming at me? How am I going to have to respond or recalibrate? What kind of feedback have you received from, not so much from the audience, but from the people who are getting up on that stage and using that mic and, and sharing their story? What, what have they said, said to you about what that's been like? That has been life-changing to be given the space and to have listeners, you know, have an audience of people that are sitting there listening. We also have sort of a rule of thumb or, or a request that we ask people to not apologize for crying on stage. And we've had times, I'm remembering now a couple of times where a friend of someone who was up on stage got up on stage and just put like their hand on the person's back while they were telling their story and just because they were really shaken up and having, and that kind of humanity, you know, I don't know. I can't say enough about it. I'm sort of, I'm having trouble exactly <laughs> articulating, but I'm almost like it's because I could say so many things about it. People deeply, deeply appreciating 
just everyone like shutting up <laughs> and just, and then getting clapped for, do you know, like celebrate it. So it's not just like I'm listening, but I'm actually going to celebrate your story because your story is my story and your story is, it, yeah, just that piece is so critical to humanity. Yeah. To, to just being alive. So I don't know if that really answers your question, but, but it's kind of, it's just what comes to my heart and mind, you know, when thinking about being on, you know, watching people and, and you know, and, and giving, facilitating that space for people. It really struck me the difference between when you tell your story and someone can sit in silence and be present with you, maybe because they have to, <laughs> you yeah. know, maybe because they're in that role and, and they're like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then hopefully we're going to move on to something else. But with grief rights, it's people are showing up in the audience because they choose to. And so there is that place of celebrating, not necessarily the story, but celebrating the space to tell the story. What have you seen? I, I think you've only had one reading virtually so far. What what did you notice with it being on Zoom? Since I think many audience members can probably relate to having a personal experience of having to move something into the virtual realm in the last couple of months. That it felt exactly the same. Mm. <laughs> it felt exactly the same. I, I was so moved. And, and meanwhile, I was hosting with my 21 month old because I didn't have any childcare. So she was like bouncing around around me and she was like, you know, so, and which actually brought all this, you know, she was seeing people on the screen and she was going saddy, saddy when some people were crying. And I was like, yeah, they're sad because they're telling the story about somebody died. And just like, it, it was so real and raw and honest and it just felt exactly the same. I was super surprised by that. And what you just said, Jana, I feel like is sort of the heart of so much of it because that people are choosing to show up. That's always amazing to me. Like we put it out there and we go, okay, we're having this thing. And then you have like 45 people show up on a Zoom thing and you're like, wow. <laughs> or you have, you know, like a hundred people show up at a, at a, at a um, you know, a live thing. And you're like, because sometimes I honestly, I have had the thought that people are going to get tired of it, mm. that people are going to come or they're not going to last for the whole thing. You know, the last live one we had was at Powell's Books and they had put out 120 chairs and it was standing room only. And I was like a little worried that people were going to leave. And I, I almost feel I'm just like noticing, I feel almost like a little ashamed to say that, but it's the truth. Like I was just like, are people going to be able to like, or want to stay, but then they do. And we also always say, if you need to go, go right. Like take care of yourself. But that has been the thing that's been the most like striking to me about the virtual feels just the same. We're showing up, you know, we're like <laughs> shaking our hands instead of clapping or whatever. Um, but we're being present. And we want to, right? People want to hear each other. And you mentioned there's going to be one on Sunday, May 24th. That's right. Which at four o'clock. At four. I'm not sure if I'll get the episode edited and out the door by then. So is there another one scheduled after that that people can look forward to? Um, yeah. So we will be doing them monthly. I don't know the date yet in June, but um, if people follow us on Grief Rice Foundation, on either Facebook or Instagram, 
um, they will be able to to know when those are coming up. Okay, great. So Grief Rights Foundation, and I'll put uh, links to those uh, social media accounts in the show notes, listeners. And Madi, you, so you've got Grief Rights, and you're also working on a, a class, a workshop, like talk a little bit more about the other offering that you're going to have available for people. Yeah, so um, I've started um, a website, and it's called thegriefrevolution.com. And basically, I um, have had this dream of creating an online course around grief and healing. Actually, I'm going to take back. It's not about healing. It's just about grief. (laughs) It's about (laughs) grief and living with grief and integrating. So what I am currently working on is a beta course. And a beta course just means that it's basically um, guest students who want to take my two-week course at no charge, but for in exchange for feedback and testimonials. Because I really, when I put out a course, I really want it to be just right. I want it to really speak to people and serve them. So yeah, so I'm working on this course right now. It's going to have content that's live content and video content and also writing. I really, you know, the more people that can participate with me, I feel like the the more diverse and better it's going to be, you know, the, the more it'll really speak to people. May I say the link how people can? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So on my website, which is thegriefrevolution.com, there's a survey tab. And people can just click on that tab and follow the link and it will be, it's like nine questions that's just geared towards me understanding who they are. So it's, it's almost like an application. They fill that out and then that's how I will communicate with them to get them set up. So it's a chance to take the course free of charge and then just provide you with some feedback on how to best shape it for the future. Yeah. So it's a really cool way for people to be part of shaping a course on grief, you know, and on the integration. That's, that's the part that really speaks to my heart right now is about the integration. And I think it was because I did that so poorly in my young youth, you know, I just said no, there was like, so it was something that I developed over time. And, um, and I'm really excited about getting to share it, you know, deeper and wider with people. And I'm so appreciating the the use of the word integration rather than healing. As I, I know, I think that word has lots of applications and, and if it's one that speaks to people, that's fantastic. And I think for some folks, it can feel like a prescription to get better, to go back to the way things were before rather than how do I take this experience, integrate it, take it forward into my life as a, as a different person, as a changed person. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's why I had to like cut myself off there feeling <laughs> because I, I, I don't believe there, I, I don't, you know, I'm a nurse. I've been a healthcare provider for like 28 years and I kind of don't believe in the word healing. I believe in the word like that integration, moving forward, love connection, but we just never go back. That's not our nature. Well, Madi, thank you so much for coming on Grief Out Loud and you know talking about the people that were so dear to you who died when you were in your early young adulthood times and about grief rights and about the grief revolution and about the class that you're putting together. I appreciate you, you know, having all these offerings for our listeners. Thank you, Jana. It's such an honor to be with you. And yeah, I'm super grateful. Thank you. 
And listeners out there, uh, thank you for showing up. You know, as Maddie was saying, like, are people going to come? Or are they going to stay? I'm always grateful that you all tune in and you keep coming back to listen to the show. So uh, I've really enjoyed hearing from those of you who have reached out to me at griefoutloud at dougie.org. So please feel free to send me an email if you want to just tell me what the show means to you. Tell me your story, uh, suggest a guest, anything like that. So griefoutloud at dougie.org. And if you want to listen to our past episodes, you can find them wherever you're listening right now, or if you go to our website, dougy.org. So thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next time. 